104.7 The Cave. KKLH, Marshfield, Springfield. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. Touchdown, Kansas City! Now... It's time for Ned Talk. Yeah, it's time for some sports talk on the radio. I'm Joe Weston, sitting next to Ned Reynolds. Ned, how are you on this fine Sunday? Now, wait, 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 wait. Before you answer that question, Ned has a, uh, having a little bit of laryngitis, so we're not going to ask Ned too many questions today. So he's nodding, so we're going to count that as it's it's a good <laughs> no, day, I'm, right? No, I'm, I'm okay. I just can't talk for a sustained period of time. Okay. All right. It's a well, beautiful day. What more could we'll, you want? We'll massage your throat or something. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Stormy's sitting across from me today. Stormy, how are you? Sorry about the loss. Oh, Sorry about no, the I'm, I'm great, but I, I am insanely proud of those young ladies. They did a heck of a job, a hell of a season. So much talent, so much determination on that team. I could not be more proud, win, lose, or draw, whatever happened. And Josh Roberts from the B team joins us. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day out there, two days in a row. That's right. We've got some beautiful weather. Always nice in the Ozarks in March. And uh, let's stay right here. That's what I want to open the show with. We usually talk about local sports in the second segment. We're going to open the show, open the show with them today because it is the major story in our area. We'll start out with the Lady Panthers. Made it all the way to the national championship and then lost to a very good team out of Lubbock, Texas. Yeah, Lubbock Christian out of Texas, which... Technically speaking, is the rank was came in as the reigning national champion since there wasn't a tournament final last year. Uh, they're the team Drury lost to two years ago up in Columbus in the semifinals, and so it was good to have a matchup with them again. And the girls just did a fantastic job. At one point, they were at six minutes left. They were down by twenty-one. Were able to rally back to within four points, and so they really fought hard and uh, did a great job. And, and something to be really be proud of. But what Stormy didn't mention was the two points, actually three points, made the difference between the championship game between Lubbock Christian and Drury and Drury and Central Missouri State. Yes. Because Central Missouri out of Warrensburg took that Lubbock Christian team right to the final buzzer, had seven shots, seven shots in the final minute and ten seconds of tying or winning the game and couldn't get the doggone ball to roll into the hole. Oh. Didn't happen. Now, yeah. Lubbock Christian's a fine team, no question about that. But, hey, the girls from Warrensburg have a very yes. nice basketball team, very, very nice team. Very good. I mean, Lubbock Christian's one of the best defenses they've ever seen in D2 women's basketball. So they really put up a wall. It's hard to get around. Drury played from behind most of the tournament. And they came did. back for some wins. Yeah, it usually ends up biting you in the butt. Do you think they were uh, maybe a little tired at the end of this thing? Oh, there's no question. I mean, you can't go the whole season without bumps and bruises. And, I mean, everybody. Paige uh, Robinson, the D2 player of the year, went in after she'd rolled her ankle uh, the other night, the night before. And so uh, some of the others were bumped up. So they had to be playing through a lot. And uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of tired, a lot of sore. But it was, it was a great tournament, and they fought back in every game and – kind of revved it up as they went along and as they ended up running away the first two, but this one, not so much. Congratulations to the Drury Lady Panthers, national runners-up in D2 basketball. No matter what, they had a great season, two losses all year long, amazing team, amazing group of people, and uh, Stormy's a huge supporter of the team. And I do want to say one last thing about this team is that our four-year graduating seniors will leave the team with a record of 123-6. and six. Wow. <laughs> wow. That, is, that is something to hang your shingle on. 
Now we'll talk a little bit about another game that's coming up this afternoon. Yep. Just about an hour from now, made a little bit, little, little bit over an hour from now, when Missouri State's Lady Bears take the court. And they will do so down in San Antonio, Texas, in a game, folks, that is on national television. And any time a local team, I don't care who they are, gets a national television exposure, this is ABC in this case, that's that's a feather in your cap. Now, the Missouri State is playing Stanford this afternoon. Stanford is the number one overall seed in the Women's National Championship. It isn't Connecticut. should be Connecticut, but it's not. It's Stanford. They are very big. So are the Lady Bears. It is Missouri State has the unfortunate uh, mindset of being a smaller college team. Folks, they are not. They are very, very, very good. Very good coach. Coach Mox has done a terrific job with their team. Stanford is very good. I will put Missouri State's schedule up against what Stanford played this year any day in the world. Stanford had many of their games, and they were lesser teams, canceled because of COVID. Missouri State did have some games canceled too, but they did play Maryland, played Wake Forest, they played any number of outstanding teams prior to their Missouri Valley Conference schedule. They're a good team. They're a tested team. Whether or not they win, I don't know. I don't know. Stanford has the Hall of Fame coach, Tara Vandiver, out there. Uh, it will be, it'll be a very good game. I do not look for any kind of blowout in this one at all. I think Missouri State has a terrific chance. Stormy, your thoughts? Well, uh, despite what the brackets tell you, this is, like Ned was saying, this is a game that matches teams up very nicely. And I don't care where you put this game in the tournament. It is going to be one of the better games of the tournament, in my opinion. And uh, I'm going to agree with Ned. I think the Lady Bears actually still do have a good chance of, of maybe causing the upset here. We've certainly seen an awful lot of upsets this March so far already. Josh, we talked about this last week, that women's college basketball doesn't have a lot of disparity in it. It is usually you when you get to the final four. It's usually ones and twos in that final spot. What do you think? Do you, Lady Bears pull off an upset today? I I would love to see that. I I love to hear that they 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 have a great chance. They've got a team that matches up well. I will I'll go out on a limb and say they are going to upset Stanford today. They're going to beat them. All right, they're going <laughs> to so mix mix it up. We got two guys who think there'll be an upset today. What do you think, Ned? Well, I, if Lady Bears win, it's not an upset. There are no upsets in any of this tournament competition because the level of talent is so widely spread out across the country, especially in men's basketball. Mm-hmm. Maybe not so much in the women because it you know it, there's a there's a difference in. A historical perspective to those uh, manner and uh, gender sports. <clears throat> but with the men, I don't care who you are, what the tournament is, it is not an upset. Oral Roberts, for instance, winning their first two games, played Arkansas yesterday, took Arkansas to two points, maybe should have beaten them. They played Arkansas earlier this year and gave them a good fight. You knew ORU had a good team. Mm-hmm. You know some of these other schools Loyola of Chicago, hell, we saw them play twice here in town and kicked Missouri State's derriere <laughs> on back-to-back nights by about the same score, 20-point differential. You knew they were a very good team, but yet they don't have quite the name. And the same holds true for some of these others who have alleged upsets. They are not upsets. They are good quality basketball teams with good players and maybe not the BCS names that some of these other schools have. 
You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. A little bit later on in the show, we're going to have a roundtable discussion about sports Cinderella's. Ned is arguing that there aren't sports Cinderella's. In basketball. In basketball. Okay, he's he's clarifying that now. (laughs) All right, let's turn our attention to something we don't talk about that often in the spring, and that's football, and we're going to talk about Missouri State football. Wow. Another upset win yesterday. It uh, it was a great turnaround, and I think you can attribute this to, number one, the level of talent there. It is quite good. Many of them are holdovers. What's the difference? C-O-A-C-H and the new staff that uh, Coach Petrino has brought in there. <clears throat> they are much more focused. Missouri State was down 19-7 to at halftime yesterday. They come back, new attitude, big adjustments in their passing routes, uh, receivers who had been covered in the first half double teamed in some cases. DeMaurier Vick is a really, really good wide receiver. Well, Southern Illinois knew that, and they blanketed on him. Bears didn't adjust in the first half. Second half, they did. And they have a kid, uh, Manning Salon, I think his name is. <clears throat> he scored four touchdowns yesterday, including the first play from scrimmage, a 75-yard touchdown bomb. Well, that was it for the Bears in the first half. Second half, big adjustments, big defensive adjustments, shut down Southern Illinois completely in the second half, and then came back, got the ball in the final minute and a half of the game, drove it down the field, drove uh, 65 yards, I think it was, in six plays, and kicked a field goal at the gun to win the thing. It's a good team. They are a very good team, utilizing a lot of team speed. I'll tell you, guys, the pursuit on defense is outstanding. These kids do not give up. They are a uh, very focused, ferocious, hard-hitting football team that is going to make a few breaks for themselves. Now, they do have a really tough game coming up next week. They go to Grand Forks mm-hmm. to play North Dakota University. They're a newcomer in the Valley this year, and they are quite good. They're undefeated in the league. No, I take it back. They are not either. North Dakota State beat them. But these – these teams, North Dakota, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, and the Bears all have the same record. And this is a, a big opportunity now to make what is an abbreviated level of playoffs in FCS football. This team is capable of playing. How they would do against other teams in the country, I think, remains to be seen. That's very hard to determine since there are no intersectional games taking place uh, this spring. But many of these, if not all of them, come back in the fall. And we'll see some very good football then. I wanted to talk to you just for a minute about we've had good coaches here in the past. And I know some of them had not been popular coaches because they didn't mix well with the media or didn't, uh, Um, you know, put on all the warm and fuzzy stuff that needs to happen with the alumni to be a successful college coach on certain levels. What's the difference between Coach Petrino and what we've seen the past here besides obviously the pedigree? I think I think that is the difference. Do you think guys just stop and listen to him a little more because he has that background? Well, put yourself in in just kind of play reverse roles. When you were a student in school, did you listen to some teachers and maybe not the others? Yeah. That's exactly what this is in sports. When you have a coach and Petrino is a veteran coach, my gosh, he's been his team in Arkansas before he had a little problem down there. They were a Cotton Bowl championship team. They were number five team in America 
They were really good, and he brought them all in there. Bears played them. Bears played them in uh, Little Rock in 2010. We lost, I think, 38 to nothing or something like that. But the fact is he had great athletes, and they listened and had a great scheme. Same thing in his year, one year at Western Kentucky in his two stints at Louisville. Well, look who he recruited for heaven's sake. Lamar Jackson, for yeah, heaven's sake. Yeah. His uh, very brief period with the Atlanta Falcons, you don't hire a coach like that. And the coach himself does not absorb that experience unless you have something going for him. He has brought that. He's brought a very good staff, new staff in there. And the players are listening. And they are, they are carrying out a game plan that is quite noticeable to the fans because it's a very determined game plan. It has a lot to do with the players' mental aspect on things and what they can and cannot do. You play within your limitations. Now, this is 1AA. This is FCS. Petrino himself is not unacquainted with FCS. He was here in 1990 with Idaho when they played the Bears down here. He was an assistant coach then. So he knows fully well what to expect and what to expect out of his players. And I think that's carrying over into how this team should be playing. And I think the leader has a lot to do with it. My wife says I'm in a negative mood today. So let's let's flip to the negative side of this. <laughs> They're a good football team, but Coach Petrino is – Let's let's be honest. He's in a little bit of a rebuilding part of his career. How long is he going to be here, and what do the Bears do to sustain themselves going into the future to build on what they have at the moment? Well, that's a question I can't answer. You're right. I don't think he'll be here forever, and what the time limitations is, who knows? None of us is here forever. But in his case, he does have his family on the coaching staff. His son, his sons-in-law are also on the coaching staff, and they're all good football people. Um, How does it carry over? Again, I think a lot of it depends on how the teaching methods that are used and how much you can communicate with these individuals. Caleb is going to be visiting with us. He can tell us that. Your players listen to their coaches, but the coach has to be able to demand respect. Now, he doesn't do that with you know, vile language and things like that, although I suspect that can probably be a motivating factor. <laughs> but, but, but it's it's how you present your game plan and how you look at others, how you treat others, and how you present this as a winning formula. Stormy, have you uh, gotten out to watch the Bears play yet this year? I have not gotten out to watch them yet. Um, but uh, yesterday, of course, had some things at Drury, but did get to listen to a good part of the game after that. And... Uh, very happy with with the turnaround. I mean, I know we we kind of got on Petrino's case a little bit when the, when all this first started, but you know, with a little the controversy around it. But the bottom line is, is he's doing a very good job in turning this team around and what he's doing with the players. And like Ned said, it it will come down to that pedigree that you listen to pe- some people more than you do others because of their direct firsthand experience in the industry that you're working in, whatever it is, it's football or business or what. Um, you get somebody that's got that much more experience and that much winning power on them, you're going to listen to them a lot more than others. Josh, Missouri State Bears football. Not something we talk about even in the fall that often, but we're talking about it in the spring. They played extremely well. They're 4-1 in the spring season. They have only lost to a former national championship team. And they played very good football. And uh, I think one of the things Ned's hit home is that they play 60 minutes. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I wish I wish that we could rewind the tape to back when they first announced that Petrino was coach because I was, I think, only 
I was I was very positive about it. Most people around here were kind of reluctant to accept him at first, but I said, "Look, he he has the distinction of beating Alabama and LSU in the same season." You know, he has that pedigree like you've been talking about. And so along that line, I think what you were asking Ned earlier, I think moving forward, what he is one of those coaches that is in the hierarchy of college football coaching. When you when you sit down and think about the names that come to mind for college football coaches, I've always felt like he was one of those yeah. because of his success at, at Arkansas, his success at Louisville. He had his fall from grace and he's recovering from it. So I think moving forward, MSU needs to look for somebody else in that that is at the edge of that hierarchy or could be moving into that hierarchy. There are plenty of coaches out there who five, six, ten years from now are going to be those coaches that are winning national champions somewhere or winning wherever they're they're coaching because it it has that rotation. You know, um, uh, what's his name at Clemson? Is one of those Dabo Sweeney. Dabo Sweeney. He has become one of those mm-hmm. hierarchy coaches because of his success at Clemson, and so they need to be looking. If if they truly feel like Petrino is only here for a short amount of time, that's where they need to start looking. Is for coaching, you know, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators that are right on that cusp that have this amazing success where they are and are ready to take that next. And step. and where did Dabo Sweeney absorb his coaching? Roll Tide. Thank you, Alabama. <laughs> I would I would I would love to roll back the tape to the very first conversations that we had about this because John and I were both very outspoken about the hiring. And I think number 1, the whole circumstances behind the hiring where uh, our leadership Oh yeah, yeah. Around it at the at the university um didn't do due diligence with it. Uh, he and when you have the events that Coach Petrino's had, you you do open yourself up to those criticisms. You have to. That's part of the deal. That's but, part of all. Oh, of I completely Joe, agree with you there, Joe. I completely agree with that. And an individual who has had something like that ha- happen to them has to have an awful lot of confidence in himself to yeah. be able to rally from that. Definitely, there are a lot of it. First of all. Those of us who live in glass houses (laughs) do not throw stones. Uh, That's number one. Number two, how many of us facing a situation like that would have backed off and said, hey, I quit. I'm going off into something else in life. He didn't. He stayed right with it. He's put his head down and moved forward, and that's that's commendable. Whether you you know whether you have success or not, you know, I had a worked for a guy one time who told me the measure of a man is not getting knocked down; it's how quickly it gets back up again. So I that's something to think of. So props to Coach Petrino, props to Missouri State bas- football program, basketball program, the Drury women's program, everything going well in uh, local sports <laughs> right now. Almost everything going well in local sports. Caleb's going to join us in just a minute. We'll talk about football that they're doing with the uh, Queen City Asylum. Insane, Insane Asylum. Insane football. Asylum. Make sure we put football on there. I put football in there. I put that in there. <laughs> so we'll talk about that in just a minute. It's Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs radio network, the AFC champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Talking a lot of football, and we have a guest that's joining us today, Caleb. 
is with the Springfield Queen City Insane Asylum football program, and you guys are gearing up for another season, and you were telling me off air that, what, two weeks away? April 10th, home opener. Yeah, we're excited about it. How much time did you guys actually take off? Seems like Stormy was talking about it every week. (laughs) Yeah, so with the COVID season, kind of last season, our, our season ended up kind of stretching a little bit longer than we thought it was going to. Um, so we took some much-needed time off to kind of rest some bodies and distance ourselves from it for just enough to kind of recoup and figure out what we're doing for season number two. Um, and then kind of got back first of the year, started, got some rosters solidified and practices scheduled and got to pop in some pads a little bit, and now here we are two weeks away from opening up. Who do you open your season against? The Northeastern Oklahoma Redhawks coming from Tulsa to play us. And now, see, that's a good name. Got some good names in your league. We we Appreciate frequently that. bring up this uh, fan call league. It's it's kind of my little thing that I I'm interested in. I've not watched a single game in the fan call league, but they have terrible names. So you guys have good names. I can at least Appreciate say that. that. Caleb, talk a little bit about how the team is comprised, who the players are. Talk about yourself and how you got started in this. Sure. So uh, this is our second season. Uh, last year, uh, probably not the the season you want to start in with COVID and everything like that Mm. Uh, but we were able to make it through um, and really kind of build a culture around semi-pro football we have been blessed with a lot of local talent Uh, we got a lot of Missouri State guys uh, Matt Rush Darius Daniels we got some SBU alumni um, some all-american receivers defensive backs Um, we have a lot of military personnel that play for our team one of our quarterbacks is a uh, Army Ranger airborne Mm -hmm stud human being that jumps out of airplanes <laughs> so that we don't have to um but so I, I played my football at sbu in bolivar um wasn't much to report on i was just a guy but i learned a lot uh it was it was a it was a very humbling experience to kind of be a part of that and and figure that lifestyle out when you were playing were the miaa or had they gone into the new conference in so MIAA and I actually was there the year that they had. So I was my last year I got on turf. So we played grass up until my very last year, and we had like three different coaching changes, um, and then they went to the GLVC. So you had the chance to play against a team like Northwest Missouri State. Yes, sir. That was an, an interesting experience, I'm quite sure. Yes, sir, very <laughs> much so. Yeah, we, uh, we were a small fish in a large pond. What was your position that you played? Uh, so I ended up playing defensive back. And then as the as I grew as a human and the program grew, I ended up being a stand-up defensive end as a hybrid that kind of just moved around the field. Talk a little bit too, Caleb, about the level of football then because the MIAA from back in the old days when Southwest Missouri State was an MIAA team has morphed immeasurably. It isn't just Northwest Missouri, which was always in it, but you've got Pittsburgh State and you have this Fort Hayes and people like this kind of competition was that for you man every week it was something that we were trying to game plan for and prepare for because there was just the level of talent in the miaa was incredible i mean the guys that we were playing were were massive the programs were massive they were coached well uh their fan base was incredible you know going to play at pitt state and playing in front of 13 to fourteen thousand fans was crazy you know that was just an experience that you'll never forget and trying to listen for calls from the sideline and not being able to hear yourself <laughs> cough. You know what I mean? It's crazy. So, yeah, that was an experience. Where did you play your high school football? Uh, so I didn't play high school football. I actually went to New Covenant Academy here in Springfield and walked on at SBU, 
and ended up becoming a, a scholarship athlete to play out there. Okay, you had the obviously the passion to play, and New Covenant does not play football. Do play baseball and basketball. Did you play other sports there? Yeah, so I ran track, played soccer, and played basketball at New Covenant. Um, and it was it was a decision I kind of made middle school to high school, whether or not I was going to go to Glendale, which would have been the school that I was in for district. Um, I just decided that, you know, if I was meant to play sports at the next level, it would find a way to happen and just trust that God had it figured out for me, and here we are. Okay, so you walked on at Southwest Baptist, which is – it's Division Two, sure. and it's the MIAA, arguably one of the very best Division Two leagues in the country with great teams. The national champs, Northwest Missouri, uh, among the others, Central Missouri and the others, and so forth. What, <laughs> what went through your head, number one, and what was your first uh, uh, perception of that football when you walked on? Man, so it was just a crazy experience altogether. It wasn't something that I anticipated but number one, just just the speed of the game, you know, coming out and having so all these other guys were recruited. You know, these guys have been playing football their entire life. So I was trying to learn the game while these guys were trying to refine a craft. And so <laughs> yeah. I'm, you know, I'm playing against these giant stud athletes from all over the country. And I was just this, you know, little bitty guy from New Covenant Academy in Springfield, Missouri, just trying to be relevant on a, on a roster somewhere. So, yeah, that was it. Like I said, it was humbling. It was very humbling to be at a small school where, you know, you were very well known to go to this big college where you were nobody. You know, I had to have tape on my helmet. My biggest goal was getting all the coaches to know me by name. You know, like it was it was a very, very humbling experience. After your first year, how did you reinvent yourself to play at that level? So I, I felt like one of my – one of the one thing I could control was my effort in the weight room. So I wanted to get bigger. Uh, so I kind of reinvented myself of being a guy that could control the controllables and – eat as much as I could and lift as heavy as possible and came back as a special teams guy where I found my niche in, in blocking punts and being explosive um, and being a guy that contributed in any facet I could to make the program better. Who was your or, uh, your head coach, number one, and the coaching staff? Who was your position coach as well as head coach? So Keith Allen was the coach uh, for the majority of the time that I was there. Um, he coached Steve Gachette. That was the Harlan Hill candidate, stud quarterback. Um and then Darnell Walker, who played um, in the NFL for 15 seasons and then playing for Coach Tracy Hayworth, who was a stud NFL player in his 15 season as well. Not many are familiar with the Hill Award. That's the Division II level of the Heisman Trophy, and it is a very coveted prize, and many of those Hill Award winners are going on to the NFL. So after your college career ended, then what happened? So, I, I, I mean, I thought football was over. Um, and a couple of the guys that I'd played ball with in college let me know about the semi-pro that they were playing. And they were playing for a team in Joplin. And they said, hey, man, you should just come out and try it. And I was like, you know, I don't know if it's if the time makes sense. Is my body still able to play? Um, so I went out and tried it and, and really loved it. But it was eight-man. You know, it was 11-man is college what I was used to playing. But eight-man football was a, a whole new world for me. And I really, really, really enjoyed it. All right. You, and that's what this team is, the Asylum. Excuse me. Is uh, eight man football? How does that differ in your perception from eleven man football? So eight man, in my perception, is a little bit more strategic. Where eleven man might be just pure athleticism, where you've got a larger field for guys to outrun other guys. Eight man is not that way. We play in a fifty yard long, twenty eight yard wide field. Um, so it is a lot more downhill football. There's no running away from people. It's more running people over. <clears throat> 
And for me, that's something I really love. I love hard-hitting, <laughs> high-contact football. And so that has allowed us to kind of um, develop a offense that I think is is very competitive, very talented, that allows us to do just that, and that's run are, people over. Are you coaching the team? So um, I own, coach, and play. Uh, but we have just brought on an offensive coordinator, uh, Blake Shabom, who has done an incredible job developing our, our new offense for 2021, and we're excited to see what happens on April 10th. We were just talking a while ago, Caleb, and you were sitting in here when we talked about how a coaching change doesn't necessarily have to do with changes in, in the position or anything like that. It's the teaching method. Can you can you confirm that as a former player? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll be honest. One of the things that we've really prided ourselves on is being very transparent with what we do top to bottom. You know, uh, this league is a pay-to-play league, so these guys are paying out of their own pocket to participate. So one thing that we've done is made sure that the funds where they're allocated are, are public knowledge to the team so that they understand how it works. Well, when guys understand how things work, they have a greater appreciation for it um, same thing with coaching staff. We allow guys to challenge for positions. This isn't like college where you have to be quiet or you know you get in trouble for speaking out. This is like, hey, if you want to know why you're in the position you're in, come ask. We'll show you film. We'll walk through your position. We'll walk through what you've done well, what you haven't done well, and tell you why you're at this place. And if you want to challenge for it, we'll line you up with the guy across from you and see who's better. That's what we want. When the, when the teaching aspect at college uh, was, was part of your regimen then, when that happened, what was the force with which these coaches talked? Was it all nice boys, quiet boys, and all that sort of thing? Or was it what we expected probably was? So, <laughs> you know, without alluding too much, um, it, it's a very firm way Thank of getting you. things done. Yeah, Thanks. it is. And, and, and it's, it's kind of conditioned that way. And a lot of times to rally 40 to 100 guys, you need a firm, stern voice that is very direct. And yep. so a lot of times these guys are, are in positions where they've kind of been given a multitude of options to where they needed some direct direction. And so having a coach with a stern voice to put that into place makes for an easier operations. Caleb, that it makes me laugh because it's the very same philosophical approach as the U.S. military. Uh, there, are, there are parents in town, not just here, but anywhere, Oh, my little boy or little girl doesn't want to hear that kind of, hey, gang, it is part of growing up, and it does have to happen. And I think, Caleb, you can probably speak for getting knocked on your behind, too, and getting up again. Absolutely. So so one thing that's really cool that I've had an experience with is we have a lot of local talent as well. Um, we have some of these guys from Central High School um, that didn't have the winning seasons that they would have wanted in their high school career that have been able to come win with us and experience uh, you know, a, a championship we won last year. Um, but in talking with some of their coaches that they previously had, um, we, we kind of came to the conclusion that the coaching staffs in Springfield Public Schools are on a tighter leash than I might be. Um, so I've had the freedom to kind of say more things yeah. and be a little bit more stern. That has allowed for some development in character development, in athleticism development, and team bonding that a lot of these coaches have come back and been like, hey, man, you're doing a great job. We love what you guys are doing. We love to see our athletes be successful in the roles that they've been given. I'm going to give you cases in point two. There are, through college history, college sports history, a couple of coaches who really get knocked by the public for what they did. Woody Hayes at Ohio State for one, Bob Knight at Indiana for another, because these were hardcore to the public coaches. The players 
you'll never hear it. Well, you can't say never, but you will hear the vast majority of players saying that guy or gal, in a lot of cases, taught me what we needed to know and how to behave in life and how to prepare yourself for what uh, life is going to present. You'll attest to that. Sure. Yeah, one of our <laughs> biggest things is, is not just developing quality football players, but quality men. Thank you. And we talk through it. Tell us a little bit about the league real quickly. How many how many guys are on your roster? Uh, they limited us to 40. Uh, I'd have about 80 if there was not a roster <laughs> lock. Did you, do you, did you do another round of tryouts this year? Uh, we did uh, to the point that we were going to field a second team. Wow. But due to other leagues not wanting us to join and – a multitude of other interesting factors that developed after having a second team. We just decided to focus on the one team we had. And so we had to trim down about 19 to 20 players to get to a solid 40. Um, and I think that 40 is probably the most competitive in the country. And how many teams are in the league? Uh, so we started with 10. Um, obviously in semi-pro from time to time, there's there are development issues with funds and travel and fields. And with COVID, everything mm-hmm. has been so difficult. Yeah. Uh, so we have officially... Uh, about nine teams right now that are starting 2021. Uh, the league is rebranded, is now the National Football Association, the NFA, and we play in the eight-man outdoor division, the Impact Development Football, the IDF. When you play your games, where do you play them? So we play them at Cy Sports in Nixa. Um, it is a beautiful, beautiful field. Uh, Ryan Wolf, the owner out there, has been incredibly accommodating for us. We bring food trucks out. We'll have some ice-cold beer this year. Um, inflatables for the kids, and then four quarters of Smash Mouth football with the lights, baby. Yeah, <laughs> and your, your league begins in April. You're just a couple of weeks away from playing. April 10th, yes, sir. How can people find out about information about your organization and how they can get involved and come out and watch some football? So the Queen City Insane Asylum Facebook page, we have surpassed 8,000 followers and likes. Very proud of that. Um, that's where most of our scheduling and updates will be. Um, so if anybody wants to find out about what we're doing, they can they can hop on our Facebook page, give us a like, share, follow, and we'll do that from there. Caleb, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for we having really us, appreciate, appreciate it. it. Guys, get out and see some football. It's uh, going on right now in the organization. But like you guys said, national champions last year and uh, headed that way maybe again this season. Yes, sir, so. that's the plan. <laughs> All right, thanks, Caleb. We'll be back in just a minute with more Ned Talk, our roundtable discussion about Cinderella's. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Yes, it is that time of year when people are considering, thinking about their broken brackets and cursing Cinderella teams. But let's talk about Cinderella stories, great Cinderella stories in sports. That's our roundtable discussion, and I know... The man that probably has more in mind than anybody else is Ned Reynolds. <laughs> Who's your favorite Cinderella story of all time? Oh, gosh. The favorite one of all time? There have been so many so many teams and individuals who've come out of nowhere. Uh, in all honesty, my first, gosh, my first two weeks out of basic training in the Navy was very early, early in 1963 when the aforementioned Loyola of Chicago basketball team that nobody had ever heard of in in the Windy City came from nowhere and won the NCAA National Championship, beating the two-time former national champs from Cincinnati University. That was a very big Cinderella story, although they were a great team. They just kind of flew under the radar. 
You know, Joe, we've been talking basketball here, D1 basketball, and, and the other levels as well. I'm of the opinion there are no Cinderella's and no upsets. These teams are all so blasted good that they can go out and, and win any time out. Uh, perhaps in women's basketball, it's a little bit more separated in terms of power. But in men's basketball, well, we've seen it. We've seen a 16-beat to one with Maryland-Baltimore County beating Virginia that one year. Now, it's not going to happen very often, but it can happen. And I think we're seeing more of that this year. Oral Roberts, team the Bears play on a regular basis, and they go up to the, you know, on the verge of being in the Elite Eight, lose to Arkansas by two. The Bears of 1967 going down and beating Clemson. The Bears of 1999 going to play Duke in the Sweet 16. Are they Cinderella's? No, these are good teams, and they're quite capable on a one-day basis and in a limited tournament of six games uh, and six circumstances of, of winning at any specific time. So are they upsets, uh, upsets and Cinderella's? No. I disagree. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Ned, but there are Cinderella's. So obviously when I think of Cinderella's, in, ba- in college basketball, Villanova – Beating Georgetown in 1983. Wait, no, not 83. 85. 85, yeah. But, but, but. That's a big one. But, Josh, they were in the same conference and they'd already played twice. Yeah. You're playing them a third time? Come on. Well, but when you think about the seeding, you know, I mean, they seed these teams in the tournament based on all those factors that they go into. So that's what creates this, this drama that we want to talk about. So that's a big one for me. And then also the 1983. NC State, you know, Jim Valvano's team, because they beat a Houston team that had Akeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler and were, you know, that was, they called them Phi Slamma Jamma. They were awesome. They, they were. And, and, but was it a Cinderella? Was it an upset? Because the North, with the Shackelford kid playing underneath and playing such great basketball and Valvano himself being a very good coach and North Carolina State being the ACC, was it really all that much of an upset? Well, that's the beauty of this. So let's talk about other other Cinderellas. So you and I talked about off-air. I feel like one of the biggest Cinderella stories ever is Buster Douglas beating Mike Tyson. I will give you that one, yeah. Because he was a 42-to-1 odds on that fight. Tyson was undefeated, undisputed. Buster Douglas was the seventh-ranked heavyweight, and... I mean, he dismantled Tyson. He destroyed him in that fight. It was weird to watch it because back in that day, we were getting those pay per views for sixty bucks and for a ninety second fight because that's all it took for Mike Tyson to destroy all these <laughs> heavyweights. And so we expected it to be just another one of those against Buster Douglas. And then suddenly you're like, wait a minute, what is happening here? You know, he had an answer to everything that Mike Tyson wanted to do yeah. to him. And that was the start of uh, the very, it, and it was not a precipitous decline in Tyson's career, but it, it was it was fairly uh, sloped downwards. That was the beginning of it there, because he had the Holyfield fights yeah. and uh, oh, yeah. ap- afterwards yeah. as well. I'll come up with one that is also a Cinderella when you talk about a huge underdog is the New York Jets yes. of 69. Yeah. Yep. Joe Namath, the, the guaranteed victory. Yeah, that's a big one. I found a list, and they list that one as number two. The number one that this list has is the, of course, the Miracle on Ice, yes. the 1980 U.S. hockey team. 
because they beat Russia. It's funny because that was not for the gold medal. Mm-mm. They still had to go beat Sweden for the gold medal, and uh, they did. Finland. Finland. Oh, sorry. Finland. Yeah, Finland. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, yeah, beating Russia the whole time. And that a lot of that is just what was going on in the world at that time made it even more special for America. Stormy, your thoughts, your Cinderella? Well, I mean, in basketball, I've got to go back to one I think I've talked about before where Norfolk State uh, upset Mizzou. That was uh, – that. And to me, the the upsets like that that he said, they're the ones that simply nobody expects. You know, the bracket has set a certain thing. Vegas has set a certain amount of points. And all of a sudden, boom, this this hammer drops. And to me, when you talk about sports and Cinderella stories, you've also got to talk about the sports movies uh, throughout the ages. Individual stories. Yeah, that have really inspired people um, in different ways and the the true life stuff. uh, Because movies have really helped – Prolonged sports, in my opinion, and the mass appeal uh, for younger people and getting more of the people to tune in when they see a certain dramatic role done. They think, oh, yeah, I may, I may like try this sport out and give it a shot. And they've just they've got so many great things that can inspire people throughout those. Here's a good one for you. 2011 St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. Well, you yes. did. on this list, Joe. <laughs> 2011 St. Louis Cardinals. But you also had a pretty good baseball team that was making a great run through the playoffs that yeah. got hot. Were they really a Cinderella? Um, yeah, I think you could probably put mm-hmm. them maybe not as the foremost of the Cinderella teams, but certainly the Cardinals uh, come back in 2011 was a great one. Yeah. A storybook. Because they won 23 out of 33 games in order to – eclipse Atlanta to win that division. I'll tell you what I find most fascinating of all, since this has not been discussed by anybody, but back when, uh, well, I was in the service at the time and right through my career, KY3, when Muhammad Ali came on the scene, he was given very little chance mm-hmm. of beating Charles Sonny Liston when he fir- yeah, uh, faced yep. him the first time. Why, why is this not a part of the discussion? Because there's so much suspicion about both those fights. Oh. The first yeah. one when Liston suddenly retired with a bad shoulder in the seventh round, and the second one when he went down with a phantom punch. The phantom punch. Ooh, boy, are they ever shaky. Mm. <laughs> you know, boxing has a lot of great Cinderella stories. I mean, you can look yeah. at Joe Lewis and Max Snelling, those fights. Yeah. You know, the first one with the upset by Snelling over Joe Lewis, and then Joe Lewis coming back and just pounding him. Well, keep in mind that the first time that they fought, Schmeling was the world heavyweight champion at the time. And he caught Joe Lewis with some good shots and did knock him out, did KO him. The second time, Lewis was the world champion and Schmeling was the challenger. And there was so much political intrigue in that yep. fight. And, mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Oh my, I was not around. But when you read the stories and listen to all the reports of people who were there, the wor- it's described as one of the very few times, uh, sad times, I'm sorry to have to say, but one of the very few, and we should have many more of them, when this country was totally unified. It had no bearing. Race was not even a question. Joe Lewis, the American, defeated the Nazi. Yep. 2004 Detroit Pistons over the uh, Los Angeles Lakers. I remember talking to my dad about that, and he said, no team from the East because the East was pretty weak at that time. Yeah, they had lost was, six in a row. Was going to come back and and beat any team out of the West, and they just took a after losing. I think the first game in that series, they yep. they swept the rest of it. It yep. was pretty. Here's some other uh, 2007 New York Giants, the oh, Wolf yeah. Pack in 1983. I think oh. that's the Jim Valvano team that yep. everybody remembers. 
Patriots 2001, the beginning of their run when they beat the Rams in the uh, in the Super Bowl. Fresno State Bulldogs in 2008. Who else? Greece Nationals soccer. We don't care about. That. <laughs> I knew you <laughs> polka dots on the ball. Another soccer team. Know, Mets of '69. Back back on the Japanese soccer team because that's a very big. One. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the Japanese women's soccer team beat the U.S. women's soccer team in the World Cup in 2011. That was a huge upset. Yes, because the U. That's the only World Cup that the U.S. women's national team has lost. So yeah, there's a great list of. Cinderella's that we went over. But now you're talking about teams. How about individuals? Yeah. You mentioned the Buster Douglas one, absolutely. But there there are others, A guy too. like Caleb Scott. I mean, it, that's a Cinderella story because mm-hmm. uh, he didn't play high school football and he worked his butt off to become a starting player. And now, you know, yeah. I love stories like that. Scotty Pippen yeah. was a guy that came yes. from a, you know, a walk-on. He was a manager, a, a equipment manager, I believe, in college for a period of time before he – Finally got on the team and made himself into the star that he was. But when he got on that team, which was his sophomore and junior season, and he played for Central Arkansas down in Conway, I'll not forget not forget Dan Cashel calling me one day and saying, hey, Reynolds, uh, we have Central Arkansas coming up here to play Drury. You need to come over here and see Scotty Pippen. And I said, I've never heard of Scotty Pippen. He says, you will when you see him play. Well, that night I think Pippen had an injured knee or injured foot or something. And Drury held him to 17 or something oh, like gosh. that. Oh, gosh. He was very clearly an, a very fine player. Another one that occurred, and it's not a Cinderella story, was the aforementioned Southwest Baptist holding a Christmas tournament back about 1980s, late 80s, eight, late 80s. And they had Southeast Oklahoma as one of the teams, and Evangel played them in the first round. <laughs> I remember Coach Jenkins saying, well, we're going up to play Southeast Oklahoma, and they have a kid on that team named Dennis Rodman. We're calling him Mr. Rodman. Thank you. <laughs> he, he, lit up, he lit up Evangel for 38 that night. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a great conversation, and we always want to hear from you. So if you uh, think of something or another team that you'd like us to uh, discuss or add to our list, you can always get me through my Facebook, Joe Weston, or through the uh, – through our own Ned Talk Facebook page that is run by Stormy. Stormy, I, I should probably get you these conversations earlier so we can put them up on the uh, on our Facebook page. I was thinking that too. That I'd, I'd like to get the the listeners to toss out stuff from their childhood and things that have inspired them and and brought them to be sports fans they are today. Exactly. We'll talk uh, what we're going to watch on the TV on the television box this afternoon as we wrap up Ned Talk next. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Joe Weston, Ned Reynolds, Stormy Davis, Josh Roberts. This is the part of the show where we tell you what we're going to watch on TV this afternoon. I did want to pass along a little bit of Chiefs news for you. Sammy Watkins is a former Chief now and is a current Raven. So uh, that's a good pickup for... Any team, I think, if Sammy could stay on the field and be healthy, he's, he makes big plays when he is healthy. He's got solid hands, great route runner, and a great player, great team guy. But keeping him on the field's the hard part. Well, they apparently feel they can afford him the Baltimore Ravens can, but you, you made a very cogent point. How, how much total playing time did he ever have for the Chiefs? 
Yeah. Uh, good player when he was out there, but injured so much. Middle yeah. of the season, almost always lost always. for Sammy Watkins. Yeah, I, he's, he's a guy that I wish that he could stay healthy because uh, such a big contributor to the Chiefs. And just that additional weapon when you've got Kelsey covered and when you've got, uh, you know, when you got Tyree Kill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sammy Watkins was the guy that seemed to find a hole, seemed to make a catch when the Chiefs need it. But now he is a Baltimore Raven. So let's start with Ned. What are you going to watch this afternoon? Well, if I do, I, I suspect I'll watch Missouri State play in their game coming up. At, I think believe they start at 2 o'clock down in uh, uh, San Antonio where the women's tournament's going on. Anxious to see how they do. Wouldn't sell them short in any game. But over and above that, we'll also have other Sweet 16 games going on on the men's side, too, that I'll probably view. Got a, a great bill, Gonzaga against Creighton this afternoon, mm-hmm. Florida State, Michigan, USC, Oregon, and UCLA, who's a bit of a Cinderella, taking on number two, Alabama. It's weird to say UCLA is a Cinderella. Yeah. That's oh, true. Yeah. What are you watching, Stormy? Oh, I'm going to watch the Lady Bears for sure. I've got to gotta stick with my women's basketball. That's where my passion is for that side. So hopefully they will pull something out just something great it's a heck of a team it's going to be an excellent matchup despite what the bracket numbers tell you i wanted to get the odds for you on a big upcoming fight that i know that you're interested in and that's uh kong godzilla who's going to win that one oh i'm team kong all the way man <laughs> i am I'm, i've been mistaken for his stunt double far too many times so <laughs> what about you josh what are you going to go home watch oh i'm going to watch the alabama game i'm excited about that and uh i'll check in on the missouri state game since i predicted they're going to beat stanford so <laughs> better. I'm keep, keep an eye on that one i find myself in this odd position of every um every sunday morning the first thing i do is check my phone to see what the missouri state football score yeah, was i'm yeah. really excited that they're that they're playing well and again congratulations to all the area sports programs i want to say thanks to caleb scott for stopping by and talking to us for a little bit today about what's going on with queen city insane asylum football program thanks to you ned get that voice better drink some hot tea or something okay it'll it'll be hot but it might not be tea (laughs) (laughs) can you warm that yes Yes, you can can. how's it how's it taste warm very soothing soothing smooth Smooth. All right, Stormy, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Josh, we'll see one. you in a couple of weeks. All right. It's Ned Talk. You can listen to us as a podcast. We'll see you guys later.